Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. But for now, we hope you enjoy this message from our guest minister. Thanks for tuning in today. Open your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, first of all. Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul is testifying to the church at Ephesus about the call of God on his life. And he makes this statement in verse 9. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. I want to read the message translation on that verse because there's a phrase in there from the message translation that I have been using for years and years, even before the message translation came out. And the first time I read this, I, I really got a, uh, a thrill out of it because uh, after I read it, you'll, you'll realize how important it is. The message says, my task is to bring out in the open what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. I love that phrase. In other words, Paul says, my job, my calling includes revealing to you what God has revealed to me regarding what he has been doing behind the scenes all along. Of course, the Bible reveals to us that after Adam and Eve sinned and fell, and uh, uh, the Bible says that God had a plan hidden in a mystery So he was working behind the scenes all along and uh, endeavoring to uh, reach a place where he could send his son to redeem mankind. The Bible says from the Apostle Paul as well, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And so he was working up to that point in the fullness of time. Say the fullness of time. time. So God already had plans for the redemption of mankind. It was just a matter of time. It wasn't if he's going to do it, it's just when it's going to happen. God's always working behind the scenes. And in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us and thank God he did. Amen. This is the way God operates all the time. He's always working in secret. Things that we don't know is happening. Things that we're not aware is taking place. But when this becomes a revelation to you, you begin to count on it. You begin to expect it. It it causes you to be able to go to bed at night with the peace of God on your life. Just knowing that while you're sleeping, God's working on something. I love that thought, praise God. God's working on something. Many times when I go to bed at night, uh, the last thing I'll say, Lord, I know you neither sleep nor slumber. I'm human. I need some sleep. So since you're going to be up all night working on things, when I get up in the morning, let's talk about it. Praise God. And sometimes while I'm sleeping, he's already been working on it. And when I get up, it manifests. Praise God. I've gone to bed at times needing $100,000 by tomorrow. Uh, You better know that God's working behind the scenes or you don't sleep all night. You know, I come home from vacation one time a number of years ago. My wife and I, uh, had been on vacation and we got home and, and uh, we got home in the wee hours of the morning and 
And, and of course, my staff always knows when I'm coming back and what time I'll be there and so forth. And they always, you know, uh, make sure I, I rest that day before they unload on me, you know, everything that's going on. And so my general manager at that time, uh, he called me. He said, I need to talk with you. I said, uh, well, I'll be at the office a little later. He said, well, it's very important. I didn't want to bother you, but it's very important. I said, okay, well, come on over to the house and, and uh, we'll talk about it. So he begins to share with me, and this is a long time ago, that uh, uh, he had failed to pay payroll taxes for a year and didn't tell me about it. And he said, the reason being is because there were other things that came up and I always put that money aside, but he said some other things came up and it was the only place I had to draw from and I used it for something that uh, you wanted to do in the ministry. And he said, so... uh, I received a call from the IRS and they want this money and it was a ton of money uh, by tomorrow. I said, thank you and welcome home to you too. <laughs> now in the natural, you know, I just, I just wanted to slug him and um, get forgiveness later and pray for his healing. Praise God. <laughs> you know, that's not good news to come home to. And uh, I said, well, how much do you have? He said, well, I still need another $100,000. I said, by tomorrow. He said, yes. I said, okay. So he left and um, I sat on the sofa there in my den, just real quiet for a moment. And I know, I know better than to, you know, allow my mouth to get me in trouble. So I just sat there real quiet for a moment and then all of a sudden it came out and I heard myself say in a loud voice, I don't deserve this and God didn't respond. Made me feel a little bit better but God didn't say, no son, you don't. (laughs) I said, Lord, what am I going to do? Because I didn't have that extra $100,000. I had money in some other accounts that was designated, you know, for missions work or something. And, and uh, you, you can't use that because that's misappropriating funds. And so I said, Lord, I don't have another $100,000 to go toward this. I said, what do I do? He said, rejoice. I wanted to say, is anybody else up there? I'd like a second opinion. Right now, I don't feel like rejoicing. Don't look at me so holy. You've been through this and you didn't rejoice either, you know? And so I said, rejoice. I said, why would I want to rejoice? He said, because you, uh, if you knew what I knew, you'd be shouting. He said, I'm working on something. I knew about this even before you got home. You don't think this catches me off guard, does you? Do you? And he said, rejoice. I remember hearing Kenneth Hagin teach on laughing at the devil and how he started out with ha, ha, ha. About as dry as you can imagine. I said, rejoice, huh? And he said, rejoice. I said, I'm rejoicing. 
What about that much enthusiasm, you know? And uh, he said, son, you don't understand. I've got it all worked out. I've been working behind the scenes even before you got home. This did not catch me off guard. Now I want you to rejoice. And so I lifted up my hands, began to praise God. And Carolyn came in. She said, "Uh, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm rejoicing. She said, well, that's great. Uh, What did Gary want? The office manager, general manager. Uh, He told me that he hadn't paid the payroll taxes in a year. And and the IRS called and we need another $100,000 by tomorrow. She said, what are you going to do? I said, rejoice. (laughs) She looked at me like, have you lost your ever-loving mind? And uh, then I said, Lord, uh, give me a word here. Give me a rhema that I I can put to work right here now. And he said, do you remember the story about the Apostle Paul in that shipwreck? I said, I do. He said, well, read it again. So I read it over in the book of Acts, and it says at one point that uh, the, the storm was so great that they lost all hope of being saved. Anybody remember that? They lost all hope of being saved. I said, is this what you want me to read? <laughs> I said, you're, you're going to save me, aren't you, Lord? And he said, and keep reading. And I kept reading, and it said, And the angel of the Lord appeared and said to Paul, be of good cheer for neither you nor any of the men on this ship will lose their lives. And I said, okay, Lord, that's a wonderful story. I preached on it many times. What is it that you want me to see in that? He said, read it again. So I read it again. I said, okay, Lord, I've read it again. Now, what do you want me to see out of that? He said, read it one more time. I read it again. And then it hit me. In the midst of a storm that was so bad that all hope of being saved was lost, the Lord showed up in the form of an angel, or he sent his angel. And the Lord said to me, notice that the captain doesn't jump ship. I'm the captain of your salvation, and I'm not going to jump ship on you no more than I jumped shipped on the Apostle Paul. I saved him and I'll save you. So rejoice. So boy, I mean, it it started flowing. And I I mean, no more than I'd got through shouting and rejoicing and a, 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 a confidence came in me that I can't explain. You just have to experience it. But this quiet confidence that God is going to turn this around. And I began shouting and rejoicing. And the moment I stopped, the telephone rang. And uh, it was someone I knew, and they said, uh, uh, when would you get home? I said, uh, just this morning. Well, we wanted to know if uh, you could have dinner with us tonight. I said, yeah, we, we can have dinner with you tonight. And so uh, he said, well, meet us at a certain restaurant, and, and we did. And we got over there, and he said, uh, uh, I wanted to ask you, and this is the way he worded it. He said, I wanted to ask you, he said, uh, we've got some tithe money from, from uh, something that took place in our lives. And we've been holding it. And uh, I want to ask you, if your ministry could use $100,000. I said, you've heard from God. Like, like, 
Brother Hagin used to say when somebody come up and said, the Lord told me to give you X amount of dollars. He said, I don't doubt it, brother, when? You know? <laughs> and, and, and the man brought the check with him. said, could your ministry use $100,000? I said, yes, sir. And then I gave him the testimony. And then I uh, uh, walked in the office the next morning, praise God, when that extra 100000 needed to be paid, handed uh, Gary the check, and his eyes got about this big. And I said, don't ever again bring me a bad report when I come off vacation. <laughs> Amen. But the Lord didn't jump ship, and he's not going to jump ship with you this morning either. No matter what you're going through, God will never jump ship. Amen. Praise God. Did you ever see the movie Titanic? <laughs> well, sometimes the storms of life come at us in Titanic form, but the captain never jumps ship. Amen. And Jesus is the captain of your salvation. So once again, the message translation says here that God has been doing things in secret, working behind the scenes. And that's what I want to... Uh, endeavor to inspire you with this morning. God is always working behind the scenes. Say it with me. My God, My God is always working behind the scenes. God is always working behind the scenes for those who dare to trust him. Amen. Now, you know, Mark the 11th chapter, the 24th verse, the Bible says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you shall have them. I learned almost 50 years ago, primarily from Kenneth Hagin, the, the, the principle that you believe you receive when you pray, not after you can see it, not after you can feel it, but you, when you pray, when you close that prayer with amen, that doesn't mean the end, it means so be it. So be it. In other words, the moment you pray, as far as you're concerned, God went into action. So be it. Can you say amen? amen? So notice here, we believe we receive when we pray. And as far as you're concerned, the moment you say amen, God, the angels, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, they all went into motion to make that come to pass. Like I said last night, after you pray, don't ever say out of your mouth, nothing's working, nothing's happening. Yes, it is. You just can't see it. Something's happening in the spirit realm. And if you will not give up, if you'll hold fast to the word of God, don't cast away your confidence, as the Bible says, then what's happening in the spirit realm will manifest in the natural realm. When, Brother Jerry? Well, I don't always know when. Amen. That's not mine to ask. I never ask God when. I know that he will. My job is to, having done all to stand, stand, therefore. In fact, my middle name is Jerry. Having done all to stand, stand, Savelle. I have become a master in the art of standing. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what the Bible means when it says be patient. Patience means being constant, consistent, never changing regardless of the circumstances. God's always working behind the scenes. He's working behind the scenes right now. While you're sitting here listening, no matter what you're going through, no matter how hopeless it may seem, even if you've lost all hope, 
of being saved or this situation being turned around. God is working behind the scenes. Now you have to ask yourself this question, how desperate am I for results? How desperate am I for the miracle? How desperate am I for the breakthrough? Desperate people take desperate action. Amen? You know, if you've been out in the desert for days and days and days and you hadn't had any water, uh, desperation has a way of causing you to keep moving forward with hope of finding what you need. Amen? You just don't quit. I made the decision almost 50 years ago that quitting is no longer an option in my life. I don't think in terms of quitting. Now, prior to that, I was a quitter. You know, when, when Carol and I first married, uh, I was still in college when we, when we married, and, and uh, I really didn't want to go to college. My dad wanted me to go. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to work on cars. I wanted to be just like my daddy. I wanted to race cars. I wanted to build hot rods. I, I, he, he taught me all of that when I was growing up. And he said, son, this is a hard way to make a living. Go get an education. If you feel the same way after you graduate, then you can, you can do this. But at least you have something to fall back on. Well, I, I loved sports. I was an athlete growing up. And I thought, well, if I'm going to college, I'll, 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 I'll play baseball. I, I played baseball all my young life, all the way up to a, a farm league team that was sponsored by the Kansas City Royals. And I thought, well, if I'm going to college, I'll, I'll be a PE major. At least I knew I'd make some A's every once in a while. <laughs> like my granddaughter's a straight A student. She's in her second year at Texas Tech. And she said, uh, I asked her after her first year, I said, how'd you do, Madison? She said, I made straight A's, Papa. I said, well, I used to make A's. She said, really? I said, yeah, in P.E. That's the only time I ever saw an A was in P.E. <laughs> Hadn't been for P.E., I'd have never seen an A, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, but anyway, uh, my dad wanted me to go to college, and, and so I'm in my second year of college when Carol and I married. And uh, I intended to keep going, but what I, where my heart was, was, was working on cars. And so finally, uh, I decided I don't, want, I don't want to go to college anymore, so I quit. And Carol and I moved back to Shreveport, Louisiana. I was going to college in Natchitoches, at Northwestern State College and came back to Shreveport. And I went to work, took a job uh, in a paint and body shop, one of the dealerships, the Lincoln dealership. And uh, so every morning before I went to work, I put on my uniform. And the Lincoln dealership had brown khaki pants with a lighter tan colored shirt and it had harder Lincoln Mercury here and Jerry here. I was Jerry. But one day, just a few months down the road, I got up, Carolyn make breakfast for me before I go to work, and I come in there with a green uniform. She said, didn't you wear a brown uniform yesterday? I said, yes. She said, what is that on that one? I said, Hullet Buick. I work for the Buick dealership now. She said, why? I said, they made me mad down there at the Mercury dealership, and I quit yesterday. So... I've got a new uniform. So she began to see me in a green khaki uniform with Hullet Buick here and Jerry there. I was Jerry. <laughs> but a few months down the road, she come, uh, I come for breakfast one morning in a blue uniform. Chevy Land, Jerry. She said, didn't you work for Buick yesterday? I said, yes. Why'd you quit? 
Uh, they made me mad, but I work for, I work for, you know, a different dealership now, you know, and that was the, that was my way of life. I always look for the path of least resistance. Amen. Yeah, that's right. And it wasn't until Kenneth Copeland came and uh, preached the word like I'd never heard it before. And he was so disciplined. Dear God, I'd never met anybody in my life that was more disciplined than him. And, and, and when I surrendered my life to the Lord, uh, one of the first scriptures I read, Jesus said, uh, if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that little word continue got as big as my Bible, jumped off the pages, got into my heart. And the Lord said, this is where you need, this is what you need the most in your life. You have been a quitter all your life. If you develop the art of continuing, then I'll make the minister out of you that I want to make. You'll become the husband I want you to be. You'll become the father I want you to be. And you'll have the success I want you to have. So I made the decision right there that day, almost 50 years ago, I said out loud, Lord, from this day forward, quitting is no longer an option. And I haven't quit since, praise God. Now, there's been opportunities. Amen. There's been opportunities, uh, you know, I come under attack just like all of you do. In fact, sometimes even more because to whom much is given, much is required. Some of you will never go through some of the things I go through and any other minister uh, for that matter. But quitting is not an option. And not only that, I discovered by studying the word and by experience that one of the greatest attributes of the God we serve is faithfulness. God is faithful. Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, God is faithful. God. He'll never let you down. All he's asking is, trust me. Trust me. You know, uh, my dad, Jerry Spell Sr., he was a, he was a wonderful man. I, I loved my dad. He was always my best friend growing up. Uh, when I went into ministry and and, and uh, uh, when I began, launched this ministry, I asked my dad to come to work for me. My dad and mom both, and, and they both. They left their, their jobs and they moved to Fort Worth, came to work with me. My dad traveled with me. And, and he became dad to a lot of, a lot of other men. That, uh, they, they, they loved seeing the relationship I had with my father. Ben Priest, he called my dad, dad. Dad loved Ben and Ben loved dad. Mac Gober, you, you know these guys, Mac, he loved my dad. I mean, every time Mac would come to Fort Worth, he always stayed in my mom and dad's house. I'd call over there and I'd say, uh, Dad, what's Mac doing? He said, what he does every time he stays with me. I said, what's that? He's got his rear end out the, end of my, out the back of my refrigerator looking for something to eat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, and Mac called him Dad. Uh, uh, I, I, I've had the privilege over the years to minister to a lot of athletes. I've done chapel services for uh, Chicago Bears, Dallas Cowboys, uh, uh, Green Bay Packers, uh, San Francisco 49ers. And a lot of the guys during the offseason would travel with me, and I got to mentor some of them. And uh, one of the guys that used to play for the 49ers, Wendell Tyler, a running back, uh, played on their championship teams with Joe Montana. Wendell used to come and spend his summers with me and travel with me, and he called my dad dad. And then I had the privilege uh, 
to mentor Meadowlark Lemon uh, when, when he got saved. I became his mentor. Meadowlark lived with me for a season and, and traveled with me, and I became his spiritual father. And uh, he called my dad, dad. And, and, and they loved my dad. And uh, he, he was an honest man. Growing up, everything my dad said to me, I never once saw him back down or change his mind. Uh, he kept his word. He loved, he loved watching me play baseball. He, he never missed a game, not one game, the whole time I played. And I played ever since Little League. And uh, he, he, he would take off work to be at the game if he had to. Never missed a game. He was shouting the loudest to anybody in the stands. Come on, Bubba. Strike him out, Bubba. You know, I could hear that louder than anything else going on in the stands. But I grew up with a father that I believed in and I trusted. If he told me he's going to do something, he did it. So when I came to God and found out that he too was my father, my heavenly father, I thought, well, surely he must be like my daddy. I can trust my dad. Amen. And I found out that, that the Bible says any good thing that we do or, or, or you see in us, we get it from the similitude of our father, God. Amen. I mean, God invented integrity. <laughs> Amen. And so I thought, well, I can trust my daddy. Why couldn't I trust my heavenly father? Amen. Now, I hadn't been to church yet, so they could talk me out of it. And, uh, you know, I got that revelation before I started going to church. By the time I got to church, they said, you never know what God will do. I thought, oh, yeah, I do. He's going to keep his word. That's what he's going to do. Amen. Sometimes church people can talk you out of your faith. Moving right along. Not in this church, but, you know, some churches. And so I began to realize that the God I serve is for me, not against me. He's always working in my behalf. Hallelujah. He's working behind the scenes all the time. I remember uh, my, my uh, grandfather on my mother's side. He, they lived in Oklahoma. And my grandfather passed away and they asked me to come and uh, actually my, my grandmother passed away and they asked me to come and do the funeral. Granddad passed away a short time later. And Carol and I and our daughters, they were young at the time and, and uh, uh, we went to Oklahoma City and we're coming back that night and the family, I hadn't seen them in a while because I'm always out preaching. I hadn't seen my cousins and aunts and uncles up there in Oklahoma in a while. They all wanted me to stay over and they just wanted me to spend some time with them. And I said, well, I, I've got to get back to Fort Worth because I've got to leave uh, the next day uh, on, on a meeting. And so they just kept me as long as they could. And finally, we didn't get away from there until after midnight. And we're driving back to Fort Worth. And uh, it's about a three and a half hour drive from Oklahoma City to Fort Worth. And so uh, it's nearly one o'clock in the morning by the time I fill my car up with gas and, and get out on the highway, Interstate 35. So we're heading back to Fort Worth. And uh, the girls had already fallen asleep in the back seat. Carolyn... Uh, was asleep up in the front seat next to me. And I'm just driving along there, you know, and, and uh, there's a stretch of that highway, Interstate 35, 
between Oklahoma and uh, Oklahoma City and Dallas that that's, I mean, nothing out there, nothing. And so I'm driving along here and it's now probably nearly two o'clock in the morning. All of a sudden I, I, I heard some, a loud noise. I ran over something in the highway and it hit the bottom of my car and made a loud noise and woke up my wife and, and the girls kind of woke up and they fell back to sleep. My wife said, what happened? I said, I don't know. I, I, I run over something in the road. I didn't see it. Everything's okay. Go ahead and go back to sleep. So I'm driving along there and I got just, just look down at my gas gauge and the needle's doing this. I thought, oh Lord, whatever I ran over, it knocked a hole in my gas tank. And so uh, I'm watching the needle just go like this. And I knew I'm going to run out. And so I pulled off the side of the highway and there's nothing out there. Pulled off the side of the highway and I got my flashlight and I looked under the car and the gas is just pouring out on, on, on the, on the uh, shoulder there of the highway. And so I've run out of gas and I got a hole in my tank about that wide. And uh, so what do you do now? I mean, it's two o'clock in the morning. I don't want to take off walking to find, I don't know how far it is to the nearest town. I don't remember how far it was to the last town I passed. And I don't want to leave my family out there by themselves on that highway. So I sat down in the car and I told Carolyn, I said, well, we're just going to, we just need to pray in the Holy Spirit. We need help. God's going to send us help. So we just started praying in the Spirit. And the Bible says, when you know not what to pray and how to pray, you depend on the Holy Spirit. He knows the perfect will of God. So we just prayed in the Spirit. And I kept watching for a car. There was no traffic out there. It's a couple of cars coming the other direction. And we're sitting there, you know, and, and uh, just praying in the Spirit. And all of a sudden, I looked in my rearview mirror and I saw some headlights coming our way from behind us. And I got out of the car and got the flashlight and I stood in front of the car and, and started doing this because I didn't want to get out there in the highway and, you know, they not see me and run over me or something. So I'm standing here waving them down with this flashlight. And this pickup truck pulled up behind me. And this man got out and he said, uh, can I help you? I said, yes, sir. And I explained to him what happened. I said, can you help me? I said, how far is the next uh, town? He said, 20 miles. I said, uh, can you help me uh, uh, get there? Do you have a chain uh, in your truck? You can tow me to the, to the town. He said, uh, that's what I came for. I said, pardon me? He said, that's what, I, that's what I came for. I said, okay. So he went and got the chain out of the back of his truck, hooked it up to his truck, hooked it up to my car and towed me 20 miles. Then we went off the uh, highway. We went over an overpass and there was a little station down on the left uh, that was closed and there was a little cafe right next door to it. I'll never forget as long as I live. A little cafe next door. It was closed. So we pulled up in front of that station and the man got out of his truck, walked up to the front door of that gas station, reached in his pocket, got a set of keys, unlocked the door, turned the lights on. And then he went into the bay area of that gas station and he turned the lights on there. Then he raised the overhead door. Then he and I pushed the car inside and he repaired my fuel tank. And then we pushed it outside and right in front of the, a pump and he filled my 
uh, car up. I tried to pay him. He said, no, it's what I was here. It's what I was sent for. I'm hearing him say this every time I, you know, ask him a question. It's what I'm here for. It's what I was sent for. He wouldn't take any money. And as soon as he filled the car up, uh, I thanked him and uh, he turned everything off, locked it up and he left and I left, got back home and, and I thought, man, that was strange. Now, you know, that's what I was sent for. That's what I'm here for. I kept hearing those words. And so a few weeks later, I've got a meeting in Oklahoma City. And I told Carol, I said, on the way back to Oklahoma City, I'm going to stop at that station and thank that guy again for what he did. And so I, I'm watching, you know, for this station. All of a sudden, I come up on it. I, I passed it and I backed up and got off the exit. I saw that little station and I saw that little cafe next door. The cafe was open, but the station wasn't. So I went to the cafe and I said, sir, do you know the, the man that owns the, the service station next door? He said, son, that station been closed for years. I said, no, sir, about six weeks ago or so, uh, uh, I, uh, a man pulled me, towed me up to this station and, and, and opened the door and turned the lights on and we pushed the car in there and he repaired my gas tank and then he filled my car up with gas. I just wanted to thank him again. He said, not this station, son. He said, that's been closed for years. There's no electricity over there. That's been turned off for years. And those pumps have been dry for years. I said, sir, I said, sir, I remember the name of your restaurant, the Red Rooster. I walked outside again and looked up. I said, yeah, it's the Red Rooster. This all happened next door to your cafe. No, it didn't, son. He said, I wish I could help you, but that station's been closed for years. There's no electricity over there. There is no gas in those pumps. They've been dry for years. So I got back in my car and I just sat there and looked at that station. I said, God, is this the station that this all took place? He said, it was. I said, well, what happened? He said, don't you remember in the book of Hebrews, I said, there will be times when you will entertain angels unaware. He said, Lord, he said, son, I sent an angel to help you. I learned that day that angels have keys to gas stations <laughs> that have been locked up for years. Angels can turn electricity on when there is no electricity. And I found out angels can get gas out of pumps that's been dry for years. I said, I don't believe, it. I don't care if you do or not, it happened, I was there. My wife, if she was here, she could testify to it. God sent an angel. And that's not the only time I've experienced angels, praise God. You see, if you dare to believe that God works behind the scenes, you're going to begin to experience some things that you, it'll take a month to get your hair to lay down again. <laughs> you remember last night I said to you, God is the God of surprises, hallelujah. Amen. And if you think God can't do things like that, God has ways of meeting our needs that we couldn't dream up in a thousand years. But he can. You don't get to be called God if you can't do things like this. 
Amen. He's El Shaddai, the God in whom nothing is impossible. Can you say amen? amen? Praise God. The Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord God, thy God, he is God, the faithful God. The message translation says, the God in whom you can depend upon. The Amplified Bible says, know without any doubt that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God. Everybody say, my God is the faithful God. My God is the faithful God. Amen. That, that's a name for him, the faithful God. Hallelujah. I mean, how many people you know get to be called the faithful? <laughs> Our God is the faithful God. Can you say amen? amen? Now go with me to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. God's always working behind the scenes. Verse 1, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord thy God liveth, and uh, he goes on to here and talking about uh, it's not going to rain anymore until I say so. And then verse eight, it says, and the word of the Lord came unto him saying, arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now notice this is past tense. I have commanded. Now, just before that, I didn't read that part wanting to get down uh, for the sake of time to verse eight. But just before that, God told the prophet, I have commanded the ravens to feed thee. Now notice God sent him to this brook. And when the brook, uh, uh, he told him, he said, I've commanded the ravens to feed thee. And they did. God already had been working behind the scenes before the prophet even got to that brook. He had commanded the ravens. And, and ravens are different than people. They know better than to disobey God. Birds don't question God. People do. If the raven had said, we did this the last time, we don't want to do it again, pick on the sparrows. There would be no more ravens. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Birds don't argue with God. People do. Amen. You've had it happen to you. I've had it happen to me. God tell you to meet a need in somebody's life and you kind of slough it off and, and you know, and, and think you're a Ford Motor Company. You have a better idea. Remember that used to be their slogan? Ford has a better idea. Well, God knows what he's doing. And if he's asking you to do something, he's doing it to set you up for another breakthrough, praise God. Amen. And so the ravens sustained him. But then when the brook dried up, see, God, God's already working in advance. When the brook dried up, he said, you go to Zarephath. I have already commanded a widow woman there to take care of you. So God was working behind the scenes. And when the prophet got there, he saw that widow woman gathering sticks, if you keep reading the story. And when he uh, approached her, she said, uh, uh, make me, he, he said, make me a cake. She said, uh, 
Sir, all I've got is just a, a little bit here and I'm going to make it for my son and I and we're going to eat it and die. Now, don't you think he would have thought, I must have missed God. God told me to come here and she's going to take care of me. This is Zarephath, isn't it? <laughs> no, God had already prearranged before he ever got there that this woman was going to sustain him. And of course, it was a miracle in doing it, but God was already working behind the scenes. Read the story for yourself. I can't read it all for the sake of time, but God already had it worked out. He's working behind the scenes. Look at your neighbor and say, my God has already got it worked out. I don't know how he's gonna do it. And it's not my job to figure it out. My job is to stay in faith, trust him, and he will make it happen. How do I know? Because my God is the faithful God. And give him a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Go to, go to Matthew, go to Matthew chapter 17 for a moment. Matthew chapter 17. Here we find about beginning in about verse 24 down to verse 27. Peter is in need of tax money. And Jesus says to him, go fishing. That's a strange instruction. Lord, you don't understand. I need tax money. It's like one time uh, uh, back in the early days of my ministry. Man, we, we, were, we come up against a, a, a financial wall and we needed a, a, a major breakthrough. And I'm in my office praying and, and actually, I'll be honest with you, worrying. You look like you've never done that before. <laughs> worrying about how I'm gonna do this, you know. And I, I got a call, and it was Brother Copeland. Jerry, what are you doing? Well, you don't want to tell Kenneth Copeland. I was sitting here worrying. <laughs> I said, Jerry, what are you doing? I said, oh, just praying, just believing God. Hallelujah. <laughs> he said, well, that's the reason I called. He said, I was up this morning. Gloria and I were praying, and, and God laid you on our hearts. And he told me to tell you something. He said, God told me to do your praying for you today. I'm going to be your prayer partner. I'm going to stand in the gap with you. He said, now, I don't know what's going on, and I don't want to know. He said, but I'm doing your praying, and the Lord told me to tell you these words. You go play, and I'm going to pray. I want to say, Brother Kobe, you don't understand. I can't go play, somebody's got to worry. <laughs> right? But I didn't say it, you know. I said, what did you say? He said, God told me to tell you, go play. And while you're playing, just understand I'm praying. And then he said this. And in fact, I'm in a position to pray better over this than you are. Because I don't have your pressure. 
So you go play and I'm going to pray. I said, okay. I hung up and I thought, man, go play. I never had anybody tell me that before. Not, not in a, uh, you know, a situation where you've got to have results. Now, actually, we needed them yesterday, you know. I thought, what am I going to go play? And how am I going to keep this off my mind? And that's what he was aiming at. Go play. Go do something that has nothing to do with your ministry. Go play. Go do something. Get on your motorcycle. Go for a ride. Do, do something. And all the time you're doing that, you're thinking, I'm playing and Copeland's praying. Hallelujah. That's what he told me to do. So I left the office. My accountant followed me out, you know, the door and said, uh, Brother Jerry, you going to be back? And I said, no, I'm going to go play. His eyes got that big because he knew what we were facing. You're going to go play? I said, yeah, I'm going to go play. He said, can you do that? <laughs> I said, yes, Brother Copeland's praying. I'm playing, he's praying. And he looked about as weird at that as I had when Brother Copeland said it. So I just got in the car and put a smile on my face and drove home and got on my motorcycle and went and played. Hallelujah. And then I come back later that afternoon and my accountant said, somebody come in here while you were out playing and Brother Copeland was praying and gave us a check that covered it all. Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. God was working behind the scenes. Now, it reminds me of when I first went to work with Brother Copeland back in 1970. And back then, his ministry consisted of Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, A.W. Copeland, his daddy, one secretary, and Jerry Savelle. That was the team. Brother Copeland had only been in the ministry two years when I joined him. So, uh, that was our team. And the day I arrived in his office, and his office was actually his daddy's office. His dad had been an insurance salesman, and it was his office, and he let Brother Copeland use a portion of it. It wasn't very big. And that's where we, the ministry was headquartered until he got his own offices. So I arrived that day, and uh, Brother Copeland said, uh, I'm glad you're here. Praise God. I know this is God. And he said, uh, and I just want you to know we're leaving in the morning and you're driving the station wagon. It's got the equipment in, sound system stuff. And he said, we're going to be gone three weeks. Back then, we didn't do anything for one night. It was always three-week meetings. Brother Copeland always said, it takes a week to break through all the unbelief. It takes another week for people to start listening. And then the third week, we have a move of God. <laughs> Amen. And so we were, we were out three weeks all the time right, before we'd come home. And uh, so he said, now, just so you'll have something to, to, to hang your faith on, so to speak. He said, now, in the natural, I can't afford you. That was, that was, that was within an hour of me being in Fort Worth. <laughs> now, in the natural, I can't afford you. And if you ever get paid, it'd be because you use your faith. I said, well, greetings to you too, sir. <laughs> he said, now, uh, you know, just so you'll have something to hang your faith on, and I'm stretching my faith to do this, I'll, I'll pay you $80 a week. 
I had made $80 a week since I was 14 years old. <laughs> I'm gonna pay you $80 a week. But you don't have to believe God for that $80. I said, okay, well, I was living by faith before I got here, so here we go, praise God. So I went, we got our little house there near the office and rented, you know, and we got everything settled in and I'm leaving the next morning for three weeks. And so I spent every dime I had just getting my wife and babies set up in that little house. Spent the last money I had and I had $3 left to give Carolyn. And I walked in and I said, sweetheart, this, this is hard on me, but this is all I got. $3 is all I got left. And I'm leaving town for three weeks. I feel like a dog doing this to you. She said, we are in the perfect will of God for the first time in our lives. You go with Brother Copeland. You learn everything you can. You don't worry about me and the girls. God will take care of us. And that was Sunday morning when I pulled out to go heading for Louisville, Kentucky. And... Uh, Carolyn went to church. Harold Nichols Church there became our pastor. And Carolyn went to church. When they received the tithes and offering, she put the $3 in the offering. She said, uh, she, she, she said to the girls, she said, Daddy left us $3. That's not enough to, to do anything. And so since it doesn't meet our need, it's now our seed. Yeah. And she put that $3 in the offering. Of course, I'm driving to Louisville. I don't know anything about this. So in about two weeks, it's time for me to get paid. And we're in Portsmouth, Virginia. And uh, there was a little motel we were in and the walls were so thin, you could hear everybody talking next door to you. And Brother Copeland and Gloria were next door to me. And I'd try to be real quiet, you know, and didn't want to bother them and, you know, and didn't want to disturb him in his prayer time. But I could hear them talking. And... Uh, so I knew it was payday. I'm waiting for Brother Copeland to let me know that I got paid. <laughs> so he said, Jerry, uh, come over to my room. So I went over there. He said, uh, you remember what I told you when you came to work here? I said, yes, sir. He said, didn't I tell you if you ever got paid, it's because you use your faith? I said, yes, sir. He said, well, you've been using your faith? <laughs> I said, well, I thought I had. He said, well, daddy called me today and said that after he paid all the bills, there wasn't any money left to, to, to pay you. I wanted to ask, did you get paid? <laughs> Am I the only one that didn't get paid? He only mentioned me. He said, daddy said there wasn't enough money to pay you. So buddy, you better get back on your faith. I left his room and I walked over to my room and I didn't care what anybody was hearing now. That room became my wailing wall, man, I'm telling you. I quoted everything from Genesis to Revelation. I bound everything that could be bound. I loosed everything that could be loosed. And man, I went to war. And then it was time to go to the evening service. Got Brother Copeland in the car, took him to the meeting. After the service, brought him back, and I went to wailing again. Man, I went to confessing again. I'd walk into that wall, bump it, and I'd walk back the other way, praying in the Holy Spirit, and I was loud. Everybody in that hotel could hear me. <laughs> and it was three days later before Brother Copeland called me again and said, I heard what you did after you left my room the other day, 
And he said, Gloria, listen to that boy praying over there. Listen to that man. Listen to that boy confessing the word. And he said, I'm not going to tell him that daddy called after he left and said somebody came to the office just as he was leaving and brought a check and it was enough to make Jerry's deposit for his salary. He said, I'm not telling that boy that. The way he's praying, he'll believe in next month's too. <laughs> I said, you mean to tell me I got paid three days ago and you didn't tell me? He said, no, I was just enjoying watching you and listening to you praying. He said, I wasn't gonna interrupt any of that, praise God. God was working behind the scenes. Amen. So notice here that Jesus told Peter, go fishing. Go fishing. Now that was something Peter knew to do. He was a fisherman by trade before he joined Jesus Christ Evangelistic Association. Amen. And he said, go fishing. But then notice what he said. And the first fish you catch... Take the money out of his mouth and pay your taxes and mine as well. Now, what am I talking about? God working behind the scenes. God working behind the scenes. When those words came out of Jesus' mouth, go fishing. Every fish in every lake, every sea, anywhere near Jerusalem went to hunting money because <laughs> they didn't know who was going to be the first fish. And the first fish that Peter caught, he took the money out of his mouth and paid his taxes and Jesus as well. God was working behind the scenes. A, a good friend of mine, uh, when I first met him, he was a born again Jewish man, loved the Lord, great teacher. And I, I met him in a meeting we were doing together down in uh, Homa, Louisiana, South Louisiana. And I just fell in love with his teaching because he was brilliant with Old Testament and Hebrew and so forth. And so he didn't know anything about faith. And he just fell in love with my ministry, teaching him about faith. And so I invited him to come. He wanted to come and visit us. And I invited him to come. And he and his wife came and spent about three days with us. He said, Brother Savell, I heard you teaching things about faith down there in Homa that I, I don't know anything about. I've never heard he said, teach me faith. So we'd set up every night. I mean, the wee hours of the morning. They were just like, he was just like a, a, a little bird being fed from his mother, you know. And it was such a joy to watch the light come on. The entrance of the word bringeth light, you know. And boy, he was, he was just taking it all in. And then he had to leave. And he said, uh, I'm going down to, uh, uh, I'm going to Alabama to preach in a, in a meeting down there. And he said, uh, the pastor wants me to come early and go fishing with him. And uh, I said, well, Dick, uh, be sure and look in the mouth of the first fish you catch. He said, why? I said, well, that happened in the Bible under Jesus' ministry. He said, you're a nut. <laughs> I said, well, I might be a nut, but I'm a nut whose needs are met. I'd believe this stuff. God's, God's not limited to using the man or, or, or something that you can think of. So I said, just look in the mouth of the first fish you catch. And he just shook his head, said, I don't believe you. You're a nut. I said, well, you're the nut that don't do it. <laughs> so he goes down and he gets there 
and he calls me. He said, I don't believe this. I said, what? He said, I went fishing with this pastor and the first fish I caught, big mouth bass, and I pulled it into the boat and I noticed it had a tag in its mouth. And I said, pastor, what is this in that bass's mouth? Had a tag in its mouth. He said, oh, my Lord Dick, you caught, you caught the big one. He said, what do you mean? He said, the wildlife and fisheries came out here and they put tags in several of these big mouth bass. There's only about 10 of them that it happened to. And in anybody that caught one of those bass that had that tag in it, they won $1,000. Wow. He said, I'm calling Jerry Savelle. And he's telling me the story. And I said, uh, and I'm the nut? He said, I, I won't ever doubt you again. I said, and you going $1,000? He said, I did. And I said, and I'd appreciate the tithe. <laughs> Amen. Amen. God was working by the, behind the scenes for him. Just, you know, God will do things when you're young in faith that, that will boost you, encourage you. Amen. So don't ever stop believing that God is working behind the scenes. Can you say amen? Psalm 33:18, and I'm, I'll wrap it up before dark. And uh, Psalm 33:18 8, and 19, the message translation says, God's eye is on those who respect him. He's ready to come to their rescue in bad times. So this is telling us that God is always intricately involved in the lives of his people. He is constantly working in their behalf. And all he's asking is, just trust me. All of his efforts are motivated by his love for his people. I'm the object of his affection. You're the object of his affection. Victory always comes when we rest assured that God is working in our behalf. Psalm 138 verse 8 says, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. The Revised Standard Version says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose in me. And then another translation says, the Lord will work out his plans for my life. We may not know how he's going to do it. We may not know when it's going to come to pass, but we can always know that God's working behind the scenes. Don't let anybody take that away from you. Don't let the devil take that away from you. That God's always working behind the scenes. And all he asks us to do is trust him. Now Hebrews chapter 10 and verse uh, 23 says, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Without wavering. See, the only way you can keep from wavering is when this becomes a deep conviction on the inside of you that it's impossible for God to lie. God is faithful. Amen. It creates that, that uh, uh, assurance that no matter how impossible it looks, no matter what anybody else says about it, you know that you know that your God is working behind the scenes. The message translation says, let us keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. He always keeps his word. Keep a firm grip on the promises that keep us going. In other words, the promises are what motivate us. 
That's what puts you to bed at night with a smile on your face and you wake up in the morning with a smile on your face. You know he is faithful. He's not a man that he could lie. Verse 35 and 36 says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense and reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And once again, patience is consistency. Never changing regardless of the circumstances. The message translation says, so don't throw it all away now. You need to stick it out, staying with God's plan so you'll be there for the promised completion. Oh, I love that, praise God. Anybody like promised completions? Amen. I mentioned last night that uh, the Lord had said to me in the early days of my ministry that I wouldn't be able to fulfill what I'm called to do without airplanes in the ministry. And, and he's always... Uh, blessed me with, with debt-free airplanes over the years. And uh, the one that I had before the one that I'm flying now, I sewed it into another ministry. It was a, it was a, a Cessna Citation 500 with an Eagle Mod. And it was, a, it was a great airplane. And the Lord impressed upon me to sew it into another ministry. And so I, I did. I sewed it into this ministry. And afterwards, my wife said, well, what are you believing for now? I said, Carolyn, I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'm done with airplanes. Uh, maybe I'll start enjoying more of the fruit of my labors. Be home with the grandchildren more and kind of thing, you know. And, and I said, uh, I really don't need to travel all over the world anymore. Uh, you know, all of our offices are, are well taken care of. Our staff is, 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 everything's in order. People that work for us around the world. And I said, I don't know that I need to travel around the world anymore. And I don't know that I need airplanes anymore. And she just kind of looked at me. And so uh, I even had a staff meeting. I, I told him, I said, well, guys, uh, we've, we've sewn our airplane into another ministry. And, and I'm not sure that... Uh, uh, I want another airplane. And they all look puzzled, you know. And so not too long after that, I'm up in Baltimore, Maryland, preaching. And this pastor, I, first time I'd ever met him, when he picked me up at the airport, at commercial airport, he said, Brother Jerry, I thought you had your own airplane. I said, well, I did, but I I'd recently sold it into another ministry. He said, well, what are you believing for now? I said, well, Pastor, I'm, I'm not sure that I'm, I'm on another airplane. I, I I'm, don't think I need another one right now. So he took me to the hotel and I preached that night, had a wonderful service, went out with his family for dinner, and then they took me back to the hotel. And I'm, I'm taking my suit off and putting it in the closet because I got to fly out the next morning out of that commercial airport and go to another meeting. And as I was hanging my suit up, the Lord said, and whose idea was it that you not have airplanes anymore? I said, pardon me? He said, whose idea was it that you don't need an airplane anymore? And then he said this, are you done? Are you through? Are you leaving the ministry? I said, no, sir, I'm not leaving the ministry. He said, didn't I tell you you would not be able to fulfill what you're called to do without airplanes? He said, sounds like to me, you're done. I said, no, sir, I'm not done. I'm not through with the ministry. 
He said, and what makes you think you can fulfill what I've called you to do now without airplanes? I said, well, apparently I was mistaken. <laughs> you know, you're not going to win this argument. God always wins. He said, then get back on your faith. Do it now. Man, I apologized to God, asking to forgive me for thinking like that. And as soon as I got home, I walked in the door and I said, Carolyn, forgive me for what I said about airplanes. Uh, God's not through with this. And, and he told me to get back on my faith again. She just smiled. She said, I was just wondering how long that would last. <laughs> said, I haven't, I haven't in the last 40, at that time, 48 years, I have, I have never heard you talk about not believing for your next airplane. And she said, I just waiting to see how long that would last. I, I went and apologized to my staff. I said, we're back on our faith. Now, all the time, God was working behind the scenes. And one of my board of directors in my ministry in Australia, he, he called our office in the U.S., or he called our, our office in Australia first, and then my office, uh, the guy that runs our ministry in Australia, called our office in the U.S. and said, uh, the Lord told our director that uh, Brother Jerry's going to need a half a million dollars for his next airplane. And said, uh, I just sold a business and I'm going to put half a million dollars in his ministry for his next airplane. This all happened after I left Baltimore and came back home. And uh, wasn't long after that, the airplane manifested, debt free the one I flew here yesterday. The best one I've ever owned. The fastest one I've ever owned. Hallelujah. <laughs> I have a plaque on the, on the galley that says, above and beyond, Amen. Ephesians 3.20, praise God. And when I got the airplane, it was a great airplane when I got it. But everything's changing in aviation. You know, you have to keep up with all this. And, and everything's changing. And so, I knew that it wouldn't be too far down the road that I was going to have to replace all the avionics, the whole panel, and bring it up to date. And so I started checking around of what it's going to cost to do all this upgrade with state-of-the-art avionics and found out it was exactly $500,000. And God had already arranged that with that board of director in Australia. He was working behind the scenes even before I got the airplane. The 500,000 came before the airplane did. What do you suppose God's working on for you right now? I only share these testimonies with you to inspire your faith. Amen. To inspire your faith. You may not need an airplane, but what is it that you do need? God's working on it. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I said, God's working on it. Amen. God is working on it. Hallelujah. A lot of people think preachers don't need airplanes. Well, they've never been in the ministry in the ministry like we do. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. One guy said, why don't you sell that plane and give it to the poor? I said, when's the last time you sold a plane to give it to the poor? I've done that. 
Next. People, it's easy for them to get critical when they don't have what you have. Amen. Don't give up on God. Don't give up on God. He's working behind the scenes right now. If he can get money in a fish's mouth to pay taxes, if he can get a mule to preach when the prophet wouldn't, look at your neighbor and say, there's hope for you. <laughs> Amen. Don't give up on God. He's working behind the scenes and he wants to show you his glory like you have never experienced before. Let me, let me close it with this. Go to Exodus 34 one more time. We looked at it last night, but I didn't read this particular verse to you. And this is what I believe is about to happen. Look at verse 10. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible or a miraculous thing that I will do with thee. Now this is what God said to Moses and the children of Israel. And God does not regress. God is progressing. Every generation, he wants them to see things that the previous generation did not see. And notice God says, I will make a covenant. Well, covenants are irrevocable. He said, I will make a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels. A marvel is something that makes people stand in awe of the goodness of God, of the majesty of God. And that's God's promise to you and me, praise God. When he's showing us his glory, then get ready. You're going to see things you have never seen before. You're going to experience things you've never experienced before. You're going to see God do in manners that he's never done it before in your life. All he's asking is that you just simply trust him and get up every day and say these words, Lord, show me your glory. And expect it, praise God. Give the Lord your best shout. Amen. Give the Lord your best shout. Come on, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. The Lord impressed upon me this morning while I was in prayer to pray in particular over financial breakthroughs this morning. I've had them. Many of you have had them. And many of you need them. Hallelujah. You need a financial breakthrough this morning? Hold your hands up. First question I have for you is this. Do you believe God can do it? I want you to praise him right now like you really believe God can do it. Hallelujah. God can do it. Glory to God. And don't limit him to the way he's done it before. Amen. I've seen God do things that if I'd been God, I wouldn't have chosen that person. I've seen God do things that in the natural, the person that he used didn't look like they had two quarters to rub together and, and met a need that just caused me to stand in awe. 
I could give you testimony after testimony after testimony. So don't limit God. Lift your hands right now and say, Lord, Lord show me your glory. Show me your goodness. I'm believing you today for a financial breakthrough. I will not limit you to the way you've done it in the past. You're the God of new things. I'm open to whatever, however you want to do it. It's my place to believe. It's your place to make it happen. And I believe that you're going to do it. I'm anticipating it right now. Wouldn't surprise me if it happened before dark. But if it doesn't, I'm staying in faith. I'm not changing. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. Because my God is the faithful God. And give him your best shout. Hallelujah. 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 Glory, glory, glory. Amen, amen. Now, Father, we've made our declaration of faith. And I'm praying over every person who did so. And Lord, show them your glory. Marvels, miracles, signs and wonders. Things that will that will cause us to be in awe of your greatness, your majesty, your goodness. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that as you do it, not if you'll do it, but when you do it, I pray that they will not forget the Lord their God who has given them the power and the ability to get wealth, to prosper. They'll honor you and testify to your goodness in the name of Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you're working right now. The angels have been loosed. They are gathering up what belongs in the hands of the faithful. Your word declares the faithful shall flourish. And Lord, you said that even in the last days, there will be a great financial inversion and the wealth of the sinner has been laid up for the just in the name of Jesus. Lord, if you have to use sinners for these financial breakthroughs, we trust you. Hallelujah. We trust you in the name of Jesus. And we want you to know, Heavenly Father, quitting is not an option. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your hands one more time and give him praise. Give him praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Somebody shout, my God God is supplying supplying all my needs needs according to his riches and glory glory by Christ Jesus. Jesus. Amen. And so be it. And give him one more shout of praise. listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.